Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.02 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It's the last day of May 2023. This is episode 737 heavy of Bitcoin and. I guess you guys are probably wondering what the hell happened this time. You looked up, you woke up, you looked at your phone, you saw the price of Bitcoin. What the hell's going on? Well, it's probably this person named Mester from one of the Federal Reserve uh, <clears throat> banks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll talk about that. Uh, let's do it now. Uh, get it over with, right? Rip the Band-Aid off. Bitcoin recedes to 27000 as the Federal Reserve's mester favors unabated tightening. Oh, unabated. Let's <laughs> just tighten that son of a bitch up. All right, let's get in this coin desk. Written by Amkar Godbold. Bitcoin ran into selling pressure early Wednesday after a top Federal Reserve official said that there is no compelling case to halt the liquidity tightening. The Fed's unrelenting tightening has roiled risk assets, including cryptocurrencies. Quote, I don't really see a compelling reason to pause, Federal Reserve Bank of Cleveland President Loretta Mester told Financial Times in an interview published on Wednesday. Quote, I would see a more compelling case for bringing the rates up and then holding for a while until you get less uncertain about where the economy is going, she added. The weak China data released early Wednesday likely added as well to bearish pressures around Bitcoin and other risk assets. China's official manufacturing purchasing managers index for May came in at 48.8 against a forecast of 49.4, signaling a faster-than-expected contraction of the manufacturing activity in the world's second-largest economy. Bitcoin, a pure play on dollar liquidity, fell by nearly 2% to $27,021 after Mester's comments were published. God, the reactionary people in this space, I swear to God. Futures tied to Wall Street's tech-heavy index NASDAQ fell by 0.38%, hitting Hinting at a negative open on Wednesday, the dollar index, which tracks the greenback's value against major fiat currencies, rose 0.27% to 104.40, or 104.40. Gold remained resilient, trading at 0.2% higher at 1962 bucks per ounce. The Fed has raised rates by 500 basis points to 5% since March of 2022 to tame inflation. Mester's support for yet another rate hike and the higher for longer stance comes on the heels of hotter than expected inflation data and validates the recent hawkish repricing of interest rates expectations in the United States. Official data released last Friday showed the consumer spending in the U.S. increased more than expected in April, even as the Fed's preferred inflation measure, measure the core PCE, rose to 4.4% on a yearly basis in April from 42 in March. Per the Fed Funds Futures, 
Traders no longer expect the Fed to cut rates this year and have fully priced in a 25 basis point rate hike for June. Over the past seven months, traders consistently hoped that the Fed would pause its rate hikes in the first half of 2023 and resort to liquidity boosting rate cuts in the second half. That's one of the significant reasons behind Bitcoin's year-to-date gain of over 65%. The cryptocurrency clocked a 10-month high of 31,000 in April. The dollar index dropped by over 12% in the seven months to April. Mester added that the debt ceiling deal removes a big piece of uncertainty from the U.S. economy. Over the weekend, Biden... Bo Jiden and the House Speaker Kevin McCarthy reached a tentative deal to suspend the $31.4 trillion and avoid a default. The lawmakers now need to push the deal through the House and the Senate to avoid a default. Analysts told Coindesk that once the deal is approved, the Treasury would begin refilling its coffers by issuing bonds and in the process sucking out dollar liquidity from the system. And that would also be bearish for risk assets in general. Okay, so there's two things here. And the first one is this issue of issuing bonds to suck out liquidity from the, uh, from the world's dollar system. Yeah, it, it, at this point, treasuries are kind of toxic asset. You, you see what happens when the rates go up, right? You, you see that. It, the, the, the bond price gets pushed lower and who holds a bunch of bonds as part of their asset sheets? Banks, right? That's not going to be helpful. So therefore my, or well, it's not, it hasn't been helpful. So my question becomes this, will people around the world want to take their dollars and convert them to treasury bonds being uncertain as to a hawkish end of the Federal Reserve stance? My answer is kind of like, my gut feeling is no. And if I, I per, I'm, as an American citizen, I don't want to hold treasury. I just, it, there's nothing about it that makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside for several reasons. But one is nobody knows what the hell Powell's gonna do. And with people like Mester running around, nobody knows what the Fed in general is going to do. Now, the second thing, and if I can find it up here, yeah. Bitcoin is a pure play on dollar liquidity. And after Mester's comments were published, it fell 2% to 27, you know, 21. I'm just not sure. (laughs) I'm just not sure if it's a pure play on dollar liquidity. Because what this tells me is that the market movers in this particular case certainly weren't a bunch of Bitcoin hodlers. Or at least the, the kind of, you know, the kind of plebs that, that, that we talk about this signals to me that what is what's been being signaled to me forever there's a lot of industrial sized players in the bitcoin game and they're the ones that are moving that market and that's kind of sad i don't like seeing that that doesn't make me feel warm and fuzzy right because i know the hodlers are like buy bitcoin hold bitcoin but who who's selling all this this chunk of change at the exact moment that a press release comes out containing Fed Mester's comments? I mean, Loretta says something, and 15 minutes later, everything goes kaput, right? And and two percent of that was Bitcoin. Okay, all right. Well, that wasn't the hodlers. That wasn't the plebs. 
That was industrial scale institutional shit, which means that all the people that said, you know, institutions aren't coming, dude, institutions are here. I can tell because 15 minutes after Mester's comments were published, you got a 2% drop in the price of Bitcoin. So anybody that's telling you that uh, institutions aren't here, they don't know what they're talking about. But again, I still have a, a major problem with what they're saying, that everybody's just going to rush to uh, treasuries. Maybe they will, but I, honestly, I just don't see why. Screw it. Let's get on to this one. Pro-Bitcoin legislation reigns victorious in Texas as the legislative session ends. Oh, thank God it's finally freaking over. Bitcoin Magazine, BTC, Casey. Bitcoin policy advocates celebrated several victories in the recent quarter, including the success of Texas SB 1929, a pro-mining bill, and the defeat of Texas SB 1751, an anti-mining bill. Thank God. Uh, VP of research at Riot Platform, Pierre Richard, expressed gratitude to everyone involved, stating, quote, Texas will continue to be Bitcoin country. These legislative outcomes will contribute to the growth and stability of Bitcoin mining operations in Texas. As Brian Morgenstern, head of public policy at Riot Platforms, reported, SB 1751 did not pass, ensuring the continuation of the state's usage of Bitcoin miners' flexibility in balancing and stabilizing the power grid. In contrast, SB 1929 successfully passed, establishing a registration process for Bitcoin miners to share information with ERCOT, enhancing transparency and grid reliability. Additionally, House Bill or HB 59, or 591 was approved, providing a tax incentive for utilizing gas that would otherwise be flared into the atmosphere for on-site Bitcoin mining, pr promoting emissions reduction. Another significant development was the passing of HB 1666, which introduces a proof of reserves regime positioning Texas as a leader and building confidence within the digital asset ecosystem. These legislative achievements reflect the collaborative efforts of various stakeholders and industry participants, including Riot Platforms, the Texas Blockchain Council, and the Chamber of Digital Commerce, according to Morgan Stern. In addition to these developments, public miner stocks also surged on the news that the U.S. debt ceiling deal may be finalized soon and that it does not include President Joe Biden's proposed 30% tax on energy used for Bitcoin mining. While these success marks important milestones, advocates acknowledge that their work is far from over, but the Bitcoin community remains optimistic about the future and the continued growth of the industry. With the positive outcomes achieved in Texas during this legislative session, setting a favorable precedent for Bitcoin-related policies and innovation in the United States. So thank God. SB, what was it, 1591? Let me get, uh, no, 1751. That was, that was going to be, that was the one that honestly, um, Oh, who's the old the old man that eats ice cream with Bill Gates? Uh, the rich guy, you know, uh, Buffett. Yeah, Warren Buffett, the dude that 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 pounds ice cream cones like they're going out of style. Uh, that was his bill. And now you'll never find it directly, you know, where he said, "I'm supporting this bill." I had this bill written. No, you'll never see that. But it became very clear that the underlying landscape was all Warren Buffett because of some gas-powered uh, peaker plants that either either are still going to be built. I'm sure that they are, but 
uh, their revenue stream was going to get significantly impacted by Bitcoin miners. So here we had 1751 and it got defeated. Good job for the Texas legislature. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. <clears throat> now, on the other side of the pond, yeah, you know, okay, well, let's just do it. On the other side of the pond, uh, Helen Parts tells us about it, Cointelegraph. Binance is going to delist privacy tokens in France, Italy, Spain, and Poland. Now, these are shit coins. I, I get that. I don't care about that part. What I do care about is that they're actually going after the issue of privacy, whether or not these things actually provide you any privacy or not is out of my wheelhouse because I don't care about shit coinery. But the perception is, is that they're privacy coins and the EU is, well, these guys are going after it. Cryptocurrency is going to become less private in Europe as the major exchange Binance is preparing to delist all privacy tokens in countries like France and Italy. Starting from June the 26th, privacy tokens such as Monero or Zcash will no longer be available for trading for Binance customers in France, Italy, Poland, and Spain. A spokesperson for Binance told Cointelegraph that the new restrictions affect a total of 12 coins. The affected coins include Decred, Dash, Zcash, Horizon, uh, Pivx, Navcoin, Secret, Verge, Firo, Beam, XMR, and Mobilecoin. Yeah, these are all shit coins. I, I know, I can hear you cringing in the background. Quote, while we aim to support as many quality projects as possible, we are required to follow local laws and regulations regarding the trading of privacy coins, and we ensure that we can continue to serve as many users as we can. Quote, as part of Binance's ongoing compliance process, we have reached out to affected users to notify them that they will no longer be able to purchase or trade privacy tokens on our platform after June the 26th. So that's coming up in less than a month. In an email to French customers, Binance said that it was no longer to offer, uh, able to offer enhanced anonymity crypto assets or CAE in several European countries due to local regulatory requirements. Unlike cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, privacy focused coins like, yeah, yeah, it's all shit. And then it, uh, a great old description of shit coins comes, comes next. So we won't do that. We don't need to. European Union hates your privacy. They don't like you and they don't like your ability to transact as you wish. Now, again, I, I granted these are shit coins. I get it. But that privacy aspect is going to continuously, continuously and more continuously come up. It's going to be everywhere. So just you got to watch your six. How exactly? I buy Bitcoin and I hold Bitcoin. Yes, of course. A lot of my Bitcoin is actually KYC Bitcoin. I get it. Bad, bad hodler, right? It is. I don't really know what to do about that except to start throwing it into, you know, coin joins. Now, will that work? Well, I don't know. I, you know, I, I hear people say it doesn't matter. I hear other people say it doesn't matter if it, depending on how many, you know, how many cycles you went through. I hear people, you know, say that it absolutely is critical to privacy. But again, if European Union is going to go after privacy coins, then they're going to go after privacy tech and then they're going to go after your privacy privacy. And it's just it's a mess. Stay away from it if you possibly can. Now, back on this side of the pond in Uruguay. Stablecoin issuer Tether 
is going to start Bitcoin mining operations in Uruguay. Bitcoin Magazine, BTC Casey, Tether, the company behind the widely popular USD stablecoin, has announced its foray into energy production and sustainable Bitcoin mining operations in Uruguay. According to the announcement, Tether's collaboration with a local licensed company marks the company's expansion into the energy sector as part of its goal to become a global tech leader. Holy shit, this is, this is setting me off. I'll come back to it. By investing in renewable energy resources, <clears throat> Tether said it aims to support and promote sustainable Bitcoin mining, ensuring a minimal ecological footprint while upholding the security and integrity of the Bitcoin network. Paolo Arduino, CTO of Tether, emphasized the company's commitment to renewable energy stating, quote, Tether is proud to spearhead a movement that combines cutting edge technology, sustainable practices, and financial innovation. Put a tie on that suit speak. Uruguay has gained recognition as a leader in renewable energy with an impressive 94% of electricity generation sourced from renewable sources such as wind and solar power, according to the announcement. The country's favorable conditions for renewable energy production, including wind farms, solar parks, and hydropower projects, make it an ideal location for tether sustainable mining practices in, op in mining operations. The company also stated that Uruguay's robust and reliable grid system further ensures efficient and sustainable mining activities. Tether is actively seeking experts in the energy sector to join its team. Oh, joy, jobs, 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 and contribute to this innovative project. For more information on Tether's energy initiative and potential career opportunities, interested individuals can visit their website at tether.recruitee.com forward slash energy recruitee. That's literally R-E-C-R-U-I-T-E-E. -E. Yeah, I'm a recruitee, baby. Um, if you're interested in, in that kind of work and you want to go down and visit Uruguay, well, you, you might actually, this might actually be your way to do that shit. Uh, Tether's leaning into Bitcoin pretty hard lately. They've been, you know, the first announcement about Bitcoin directly was last, what, three weeks ago? When they said that they were just going to start buying Bitcoin and holding it on their balance sheet. Well, okay, well, the, I, I obviously have, you know, that raises the hackles on the back of my neck because every time some huge company decides to start buying Bitcoin, I just look for the rug pull six months, 12 months later. I don't know anything about the, the morals and ethics of the people at Tether. If you ask, ask Bitfinext on Twitter who clearly hates Tether and says that Tether is just a tool to buoy the price of Bitcoin, then he's going to tell you that this is evil and blah, blah, blah. I have yet to actually see Tether do something really freaking nefarious. Other than the fact that their audits are, are kind of weird because they can't really get a big four auditing firm to audit their assets. They just won't touch them. Other than that, they haven't, I haven't really seen them do anything nefarious. So you know, my question always becomes, well, are they acting appropriately? And I don't know, but this is now this is the second story where Tether is talking directly about Bitcoin and this time it's Bitcoin mining. Okay, well, that's great and all. And it's down in, you know, Latin America. But the biggest thing here is the fact that they are walking into directly into the energy sector right there this deal quote unquote according to btc casey is that they're not just going to go down and mine it looks like they're going to actually 
be part of energy companies. Now think of energy companies getting into Bitcoin mining. And now look at Tether, which has had up to this date, nothing to do with Bitcoin mining. And now they're getting into Bitcoin mining, but they're also getting into energy. So do energy companies start getting into the position of people like Tether as well as Bitcoin mining? We shall see because it kind of looks like oil and water are starting to mix. That's what I'm getting at is that we're starting to, to the lines between the edge, right? The, I always talk about the edge between two systems. You would think we would have always thought, you know, before, you know, I don't know, about five years ago, before that, we never really thought about energy companies getting into mining. Some people did, some people had the foresight, but generally speaking in, in the entire Bitcoin ecosystem, if that's what you want to call it, we never, the majority of the people never really thought that way. How do oil companies mix with money in, in the form of Bitcoin? And how do they mix with mining Bitcoin? And how, you know, now we got Tether on this completely different side, stablecoin venture, getting into the energy sector and Bitcoin mining, and they're buying Bitcoin and putting it on their balance sheet if that statement can be believed. Well, at all of a sudden, what I see is a great big mixing vat, and we have no idea what chemistry is going to run out of this. But honestly, my gut feeling, and I always got to go with my gut, is that this is good. That this is going to be, or at least it's going to be very, very interesting to watch. So, Hold on to your butts, ladies and gentlemen, because if Tether is not lying through their teeth and they are buying Bitcoin and holding it on their balance sheet and they are getting into directly into the energy sector and they are getting directly into the Bitcoin mining sector and they are going to be doing this down in Uruguay, then that bolsters everything that I've always said about how important it is to keep your eye on Latin America in general. Right, because we've got more Latin America news right now. Cuba, Cuba Bitcoin community hosts a BTC only meetup. Joe Hall Coin Telegraph, Cuba Bitcoin hosted the meetup at the Bitcoin friendly bar and restaurant Pazillo. Cuba Bitcoin is a lively group of Bitcoin advocates and activists whose discussions on Telegram between anonymous social media accounts that hide people's identities had yet to make it into the real world. Cuba's foray into Bitcoin signifies a departure from the centralized economic model that has shaped Cuba's economic progress, if that's what you want to call it, for decades. Despite limited internet access, financial constraints, and a socialist-styled government, the meetup underscored that Cubans are increasingly turning to crypto as a means of financial freedom and an exit from the local economy. Co-founder of Cuba Bitcoin, Forte11, not his real name, told Cointelegraph, quote, <clears throat> the mission of the meetup is to educate, not convince Cubans about the potential of Bitcoin in Cuba. Each person has the freedom of expression to decide what they want to do. It's education, education, and education first and foremost, end quote. While Bitcoin meetups in the Western world might be dominated by white, middle-aged men, oh, for God. Uh, it's a coin telegraph, I swear. From white middle-aged men, Cuba's Bitcoin-only meetup included a wide range of character, from small business owners to software developers to teenage students to grandmas. More than 60 people turned up. 
Paco de la India, a Bitcoin vlogger and evangelist, also attended, delivering a talk on Bitcoin adoption around the world. Although Cuba is technically a centrally planned economy, the state recently relaxed laws on private business ownership. This arena is the target market for Bitcoin merchant adoption. As coupled with the recent crypto regulations passed in Cuba, it is now legal to accept cryptocurrencies for goods and services. To demonstrate this, the group sold Cuba Bitcoin t-shirts for 1,000 Satoshis. That's 30 cents, dude. So attendees would learn about Layer 2 Lightning Network. The shirts sold out. Nonetheless, the main talk of the day revolves around how to get one's hands on Bitcoin. In a country where mobile internet penetration remains relatively low and smartphones are not yet ubiquitous, downloading Bitcoin applications or wallet is out of reach for many Cubans. What's more, due to the U.S. trade embargo, familiar exchanges such as Coinbase, Kraken, and Gemini are not welcome in Cuba. As a result, to buy Bitcoin, Cubans tend to do so the OG way, through peer-to-peer exchange. <laughs> Bitcoin Cuba co-founder C developed or delivered a talk on how to buy Bitcoin peer-to-peer through Telegram trading groups. Through Lightning-enabled tipping bot chat or ch- tipping chat bot on Telegram, Cubans can buy Bitcoin in exchanges for Cuban pesos or the Cuban MLC, which is a dollar-backed government-owned stablecoin. Mobile transfers can also make purchases as more and more Cubans access government-run banking services. Most trades in the Telegram group range between $20 and $50 US. The average Cuban owns just $40 a month. A well-known Cuban crypto enthusiast, Eric Garcia Cruz, also attended the meetup. He told Cointelegraph, quote, Using Bitcoin, you can be a freedom person. We have a lot of opportunity here if we teach to all the businesses to use Bitcoin as a payment method, to use Bitcoin as a freedom tool, as that's the path, end quote. Now, more than 10 businesses in Cuba's capital, Havana, accept Bitcoin for goods and services. Buoyed by the success of the first Cuba Bitcoin meetup, the community intends to set regular future meetups and events. Cuba's on deck. Because of, because of this Bitcoin meeting, coupled with the fact that it's legal to transact and, and own cryptocurrency in Cuba, Cuba is now on deck. And of many of many of the Latin American countries that I can think of, Cuba really needs this shit. Cuba has been, oh, I would say decimated, but I don't know what the word for destruction of 90% of something is. Nominated? I, you know, who knows? I'm just saying that in after the Bay of Pigs, in like the late 50s or very early 60s, rather, <clears throat> after that debacle, and the and then the Cuban Missile Crisis, we basically just blockaded Cuba for anything. So that's one of the reasons why I keep saying that one of the ideas that I have is having a used car lot in the United States that only deals in vehicles that are pre 1980, maybe 1985. Whenever computers first started getting put onto vehicles, I want the cars before that, and the the body shop. And the auto shop, the guys that fix your suspension, air conditioning, you know, rebuild engines, your, you know, retool the, you know, your disc brakes and all that shit. 100% operated by Cubans because for a handful of decades, 
actually more than a handful of decades. Cubans have had to keep the cars that they had before the embargo on the road and running. And most of those cars were Chevy, Ford, you know, General Motors stuff. And if you go and look, you'll see some of the best kept cars in existence because they had to. They had to really know how to fix engines and how to weld and how to rebuild, you know, door panels and paint the whole thing, the the whole shebang, right? And now they're getting into Bitcoin. Now think of what that kind of innovation style can do. When you had to keep a car on the road and running for over 70 years or well, no, not 70 years, but let's say what, 40, 50, 50, 60 years then there's probably nothing that you can't do. So good work, Cuba. Glad that the uh, Cuban Bitcoin meetup is starting to uh, take off. That is awesome. And now we need to run the numbers. Okay, so the China news didn't help out anything. And when I mean the China news, I mean the fact that they're their PMI or producer manufacturing index came in lower than expected, which means that their economy isn't developing or redeveloping as fast as everybody thought. So therefore there's no need for oil. So after yesterday's 4% drop, there was another 3% drop in oil prices earlier today, but have since recovered West Texas intermediate instead of being down 3% or three and a half is actually down only 0.43% to $69 and 16 cents. Brent North sea likewise. Well, actually not likewise. It's down almost a full point to 72.84. Natural gas is down a point and a quarter to $2 and 98 cents per thousand. And gasoline is down scant to $2 and 59 cents a gallon gold as the first story that I read suggest is up a half a point to $1,967. Silver is up one and a half. Platinum is down 2%. Copper is down almost a full point. And palladium is down over three points. Ag is mixed, but mostly in the red. Biggest loser today is going to be cotton 0.83% to the downside. Biggest winner is coffee over one point to the upside. I got live cattle trading up. 0.12%. Check this shit out. Lean hogs trading up well over five full percent. Feeder cattle are up 0.7. The Dow is down 0.76%. S&P is down 0.84. NASDAQ is down 0.83. And the S&P mini getting kicked in the nuts. 1.67% to the downside. Real money also kind of floundering around the, the room. It's almost fetal. $26,921.55. And that's after almost half a million Bitcoin changed hands in the last 24 hours with an average transaction value of nine, no, 0.98 BTC and a median transaction value of $41.13. Block times are still low, nine minutes and 40 seconds. We got half of Bitcoin being taken in fees on a per block basis, 76 BTC taken over all in, uh, in fees overall in the last 24 hour period. With an almost 10% drop in hash rate, we're back down to 366.87 exahashes per second. Dogecoin taking it on the chin as well. So the entire field of shit coinery is going down 7.1 United States pennies. 
A $522.3 billion market capitalization for Bitcoin is 3.96% of gold's market cap. Money supply is 19,389,005.71 BTC and 5,350.7 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $144.1 million, 71,346 payment channels that we can see and 63.8% of it's being run over Tor. We have an estimated difficulty change of 3.2% to the upside coming sometime today. And maybe we'll do look uh, further on mempool right now. The, um, well, it's not so bad. It's not as bad as it has been, but still about 220 blocks carrying 297 unconfirmed, 297,000 unconfirmed transactions are waiting to clear. I got a low priority of 41 Satoshis per V-byte. High priority of 50 Satoshis per V-byte. Let's see what they're saying about mining here. Uh, 381.8 exahashes per second. And where's a 3.26% rise in difficulty is estimated in about two hours. So we got about 12, we have 12 blocks to clear before the new difficulty period takes effect. So there you go. Now I am still number 11. But I'm grateful to everybody who did Boostagrams for yesterday's show. Nostra Report with 11,111 sats says, Great rip, sir. Thank you for your support and helping us to get our field reporter, Mars, over to Prague. We've already confirmed a few high-profile interviews and plan on spreading some purple and orange pills along the way. Stay Stay classy, you curmudgeonly bastard. And of course, I say that he's, you know, I, I tell him that he's welcome. You know, anything that I can do to help those guys out is something that that I want to do. Helping each other is part of what's going on here. You know, if if you can help the Nostra Report, please do so. It's a Geyser, Geyser Fund. Uh, they ha- uh, not just type in Nostra Report. I'm sure you'll find it. And they're trying to get their reporter, Mars, over to Prague. If you didn't hear yesterday's show, please consider helping those guys out because they like me Nostra report is bootstrapping everything and bootstrapping people a lot of people say oh yeah well wow he bootstrapped that it's like dude it's fucking painful it's painful man bootstrapping is one of the most painful things in the world but what does that give you when you're when you're bootstrapping nobody tells you what to do just saying Fat Toshi with 6102 says a whale or state actor with significant amounts of Bitcoin could disrupt the Bitcoin network for regular payments in quote, but for how long you can't fight incentives without going broke. Fat Toshi's got a point. Wartime psycho with 5,000 sat says anyone in the Grand Rapids, Michigan area should come to the Bitcoin meetup Wednesday, 6 PM at the factory co-working space. We hang out for drinks and open discussion afterwards. Ladies and gentlemen, that's today. If you're in, if you're listening to me and you're in the Grand Rapids, Michigan area, and you want to go to a Bitcoin meetup, it's today at 6 p.m. your time at the factory co-working space. Fatoshi with 984 says, thought you'd be interested in this story. I've been telling my eight-year-old son to do his homework using chat GPT. They are studying Hansel and Gretel. He managed to get GPT to write, or he says her, so let's use his language. He managed to get her to write a version where the two go on a killing spree and are strung up by an angry angry mob of villagers. One line that stood out, quote, 
They stabbed her again and again until she stopped moving, end quote. Ooh, I figure having them overcome AI's programming isn't a bad life skill, but God knows where we'll be by the time he's 18. Yeah, see, this is kind of what I'm talking about. What grisly as that story is, ChatGPT isn't supposed to talk about killing. It's not, and it certainly isn't supposed to give you a description of stabbing. So you got an eight-year-old that's been able to kind of overcome some basic tenets of how ChatGPT actually works. It doesn't mean that, it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you got to be this particular eight-year-old to overcome that. It's probably because he's learned, or the eight-year-old is learning how to manipulate what he puts it, he or she puts in this, uh, eight-year-old son. Okay. So, uh, <clears throat> what this eight-year-old is putting into the chat GPT and getting information back out and using that to refine what he puts back in. And then it goes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. That's all. That's honestly all I'm asking people to do is learn that part of it. Don't, you don't have to learn the algorithms. You don't have to go get AI for dummies, you know, book at Barnes and Noble. You don't have to do that to learn what's going on with AI. Do what the eight-year-old does. Just play with the damn thing and you'll learn. If you keep playing, the more you play with it, the more you'll learn. I guarantee it. God's Death with 370 says, thank you, sir. Pies with 100 says, thank you for your courage. Stay safe. And Bitcoin underscore kook says, stay humble, stack sats, and listen to Bitcoin and by the way, do you know Sudan, sorry, Sudan Hoddle on Twitter? He's sharing stuff about the war lately. I guess he will respond to DMs if you want to ask him something. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's not going to happen, uh, Bitcoin Coop, because I am not allowed on Twitter. I've been banned from Twitter like, like Labra Hoddle multiple times, multiple bans. I'm kind of done. Sometimes I think I probably should be still looking at it. And I'm, you know, sometimes I wonder if I'm missing out by not being on Twitter. And I know that there's some things that I'm missing out on, like, you know, networking and getting the, you know, getting the name of the show out there like I used to be able to. But honestly, every time somebody posts something on, on Noster, that's a Twitter link. And I end up over on that unholy hill that people seem to just want to die on. I, I'm, I just like, my God, I can't believe I was here all the time. This is so awful. These people are so awful to each other. I'm like, yes, I get it. I've been bad to people on Nostra a couple of times, but nothing like Twitter where Twitter just, you're just immediately enraged. And I'm, when I see it, I'm glad I, I tuck my tail in between my legs and I run back to Nostra. That's going to do it for the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news you can use. This one I found interesting. Coindesk, written by Christian Sandor. ProShares Bitcoin Futures ETF increasingly underperforms BTC this year, according to K33 Research. Okay, well, let's find out more. ProShares Bitcoin Futures Exchange Traded Fund is increasingly underperforming BTC this year, diminishing its appeal 
as a vehicle for betting on BTC's price appreciation, according to digital asset research firm K33 Research. The price of ProShares Bitcoin strategy ETF has risen 47% year-to-date, trailing BTC's 60% gain over the exact same period. The underperformance stems from the cost associated with the fund's structure. Bito, which is the name of the fund, does not purchase tokens. Instead, it holds BTC futures contracts on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. The fund must roll over the contracts every month as they expire, making it vulnerable to the price difference between terms. If next month's contract trades at a premium to the nearest expiry, the phenomenon called contango, and typical, which is typical during a bull market, over a sustainable period, the fund will compound losses due to something called contango bleed. When BITO or BITO started trading in October of 2021, several observers predicted that the fund might underperform the spot market by 10% to 13% annualized, Coindesk reported. In its first year, the fund trailed BTC's performance only by 1.8% as the crypto bear market helped to mitigate the contango bleed. This year's market rebound, however, exacerbated the fund's vulnerability to rolling cost as the CME futures market returned to trade in contango. The performance gap during the year's first five months has already reached the level that analysts predicted for a whole year. Investors should expect this trend to ensue, K33 senior analyst Vettel Lund said in a note. Quote, the strong-term structure remains an issue for the viability of using BITO as a tool to maintain long-term exposure, he wrote in the report. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission has consistently denied applications so far to list exchange-traded funds that would directly invest in hold BTC, also known as a spot, despite industry players advocating that it would be a superior product for consumers. The underperformance illustrates the shortcomings of future-based ETFs compared to spot ETFs and how the SEC's rigorous stance against direct BTC spot ETFs harms investors, Lund added. Yeah, okay, that's the end of the article, but there's more to it than that. You kind of can't have futures contracts on something that you don't have spot contracts as well. It just, it, it doesn't work. It's lopsided. And why I, re- why I brought you this piece is because think of how many other future ETFs there are out there on Bitcoin. And in the United States, there's not a single spot, not a single one. There's about 15 spot ETFs around the world in other countries, but not in the United States. And honestly, right now, that's kind of where it matters. So what, what do I expect in the rest of the ETF futures market because of something like this? I, this not, it, I don't buy futures. Just buy Bitcoin and hold Bitcoin. I, I, honestly, I don't see what the problem is except for, I guess, retirement. Some retirement funds, you know, they have an active trader or a set of active traders that do futures. I, I think that that's a bad idea, but they do it anyway and there's nothing I can say about it. But if this trend does continue and it becomes a little bit contagious, where it start now another ETF Bitcoin fund starts to lose its value compared to the actual NAV or the native asset price, well, eh, then what happens? A spot ETF in the United States becomes more likely. Because at that point, people start getting really angry at Gensler for having allowed only futures 
and no spot on the same commodity, or at least under his, that's what he calls it, or CTFC calls it commodity, and I think Gensler has called it a commodity himself a couple of times. In either event, having nothing but futures with no spot is always a bad deal. And now we're seeing why. I'm not sure the last time that there was something on the open market that had only futures available and no spot. I'm sure that it, it exists. If you know what that is, please let me know. Please do it in the form of a boostagram if you could, and I would appreciate that. Uh, but Canada has not appreciated Bybit because they are announcing their exit from Canada. Decrypt. Co. Alice Keys tells us more about it. Crypto exchange Bybit has announced its decision to pause its Canadian operations, citing recent regulatory changes. The platform is the latest in a string of crypto firms to pull out of the country, following similar moves from Binance earlier this month and OKX in March. Canada has cracked down on the crypto sector in recent months, introducing a pre-registration process and banning leverage trading. It has always been Bybit's primary objective to operate our business in compliance with all relevant rules and regulations in Canada. In light of recent regulatory development, Bybit has made the difficult but necessary decision to pause the availability of products and services, Bybit said in a statement. Bybit's existing Canadian users will no longer be able to make new deposits or enter new contracts on the platform from July the 31st, though they still will be able to withdraw their funds. Bybit will also no longer accept any new registrations from Canadian residents and nationals. Those affected have been urged to wind down their positions by September 30th. Any positions on margin products and derivative contracts left open by that date will be liquidated and made available for withdrawal. It's not the first time Bybit has pulled out of a market. In 2021, it stopped serving United Kingdom clients to comply with a ban on crypto derivatives. Users in the U.S. are also blocked from the platform. The business also halted derivatives trading in Brazil in September of last year after the country's securities regulator imposed a ban on the site. The company, founded in 2018 and headquartered in Dubai, was among the many firms forced to cut staff at the end of last year amid the effects of the crypto winter. I don't expect Bybit to survive this. I don't think they're going to be able to actually pull out from Canada and go somewhere else. Well, I I mean, they're in Dubai anyway, but I mean, I just... All that I'm seeing is like legs and arms being chopped off of, of Bybit's body, all right? And this is that whole regulatory concern thing uh, that we have here in the United States as well. There are so many Bitcoiners that are just begging for regulation, and this is what you get when you get regulation. Okay, well, yeah, you want regulation? We'll give it to you. Have fun staying poor. Haven't, I actually haven't seen that said in quite a while, but yeah, have fun staying poor. You can be a business, you just can't have any customers because we're going to shut you down at every particular stage. And again, derivatives on Bitcoin are a shitcoin, okay? It's not the actual asset. It's betting on some aspect of the asset. You can't, sell that. I mean, sure, apparently they do because derivatives contracts are all over the place, i.e. futures markets, but still like hash rate derivatives. 
there are some people that are good quality people in the Bitcoin space that are very excited about hash rate derivatives. And all I can ask myself is how will that be manipulated to depress the price of Bitcoin? That's the only thing that I ask. Every time a derivative product comes out for anything, all I can ask myself is how it will be used to screw over the actual asset itself. It's, it's frustrating. I get it. I mean, but we're all in this together. So we can be frustrated together, but we got to figure out a way out. And the only way out is buy Bitcoin, hold Bitcoin. Don't do futures. Don't even do spot. Just buy the freaking asset. It's not like gold spot is cool. I get it. But it's paper gold. Why, why is that important? Well, it's only worth the paper that it's printed on. But paper is a lot less weighty than gold is, right? So that spot gold, yes, you could potentially take possession of the physical asset. But then you got to find a safe. You got to have it shipped. You got to do all that. And Bitcoin doesn't have that. Bitcoin was almost purpose built for a spot ETF, but still, I don't like it. I just don't. Not when I can just buy the damn physical asset. Believe me, I buy the physical asset. I do it every single week. I should do it every single day, but I've just got it set to every week and it works for me, but whatever. Let's go uh, run down south to El Salvador where the Bitcoin standard author Saifedean Amos joins El Salvador's national Bitcoin office as an economic advisor. Holy shit. Okay. Well, BTC Casey Bitcoin Magazine, Dr. Saifedean Amos, pre or prominent economist and the author of the Bitcoin Standard, is poised to take on a new role as an economic advisor to El Salvador's Bitcoin office. This appointment comes after El Salvador made history by becoming the first country to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender. Yeah, we know. Quote, Having Saifedean Amis on Team El Salvador is fantastic, Max Kaiser, senior Bitcoin advisor to the country, said in a statement to Bitcoin Magazine, quote, Amis brilliantly captured the role of Bitcoin as, quote, the alternatives to central banking, end quote, in his now classic, the Bitcoin standard, as well as the philosophy of Bitcoin, including popularizing the idea of time preference as a life hack. This news makes me very happy, end quote. Well, I'm happy for you there, Max. Amis, known for his expertise in Bitcoin and monetary economics, is expected to provide valuable guidance and insights to the Bitcoin office as it navigates the implementation and integration of Bitcoin into the country's economy. His extensive knowledge and research on the subject has earned him recognition within the community and beyond. The Bitcoin law proposed by El Salvador President Nayib Bukele and approved by the Legislative Assembly has set the stage for a new era in the country's financial landscape. With Amis joining as an economic advisor, El Salvador aims to leverage his expertise to maximize the benefits and address potential challenges associated with adopting Bitcoin as legal tender. The Bitcoin office, established to oversee the implementation of the Bitcoin law, will likely benefit from Amis's insight on monetary policy, sound money principles, and the potential economic implications of embracing a decentralized digital currency. His appointment signals El Salvador's commitment to incorporating expert opinions into their strategy and decision-making processes. I, I, I don't know, man. I like SAFE. I really do. But a lot, I don't want to say anything mean. Because I don't know Max Kaiser and Stacey Herbert personally. But sometimes I just wonder about these two guys. You know, I'm sure they're fine people. And I'm not going to say anything bad about them. But there's just, 
surely, surely there was somebody closer to El Salvador as, you know, an El Salvadoran, you know, a citizen, somebody who was born there that, that understands as much or more as Max and Stacy put together. I'm glad that they're, that they're Bitcoin advocates. I really am. But I got Saifedean Amis. I got, you know, Stacy Herbert. I got Max Kaiser. And I don't know, man, it's starting to, it's starting to worry me because, because Naibu Kelly is pulling in a lot of foreigners. I mean, you see what you get, what I'm saying. It's not the decisions and the advice that are being generated by this crew are not decisions from the El El Salvadoran people. And I know somebody down there exists that understands this stuff. And I really, really, really wish that they would highlight those people at least as much as they're highlighting Max and Stacy and and Safe. But good luck, Safedine. I hope you do good things down there in El Salvador. I please don't don't screw this up. Oh, like Paxful. Yes, Paxful's back in the news. Bitcoin Magazine BTC Casey. Paxful announces appointment of interim CEO Roshan Daria. I think is how you pronounce it. Paxful, a global peer-to-peer Bitcoin platform has announced the appointment of Roshan Daria as the new interim Chief Executive Officer, effective immediately. This comes after a brief shutdown period of the exchange prior to the departure of co-founder and former CEO Ray Youssef. According to a press release sent to Bitcoin Magazine, Daria will be responsible for strengthening operations and exploring strategic alternatives for the company. With years of experience in similar roles, Daria expressed his enthusiasm, stating, It's a great honor to become... Oh, good Lord. Sorry. My other window popped up and completely completely screwed that up. I, I, let me get back to it. Over the last eight years, Paxful has been a pioneer in establishing the real use cases of Bitcoin and helping millions of people in the process. Previously a senior executive at Trust Token, now known as Arc, Arch Block, Daria led the DeFi institutional lending business. He also founded and built the investment platform PTHL Affiliates specializing in distressed private company acquisitions and turnarounds. Uh, Srinivas Raju, the custodian of Paxful, expressed his confidence in this leadership, stating, quote, I'm delighting that Roshan has joined Paxful and will take over day-to-day management of the company. I'm confident under his leadership, the business will keep building a financial system that truly serves the 100%, end quote. Youssef's recent departure at Paxville was reportedly a result of a feud involving a myriad of acquisition or accusations and legal disputes with co-founder Arthur Shabak, who is currently the COO of the exchange. Since its establishment way back in 2015, Paxful has experienced significant growth, attracting over 12 million users worldwide and facilitating billions of dollars in trades on its platform, according to the press release. All right. The differences between Ray Youssef and this, his partner or ex-partner Shabak are like night and day. And with a shitcoiner now at the helm, taking immediate responsibility, not 10 weeks from now, not next week, not three weeks from now, not next quarter. No, 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 no. Right freaking now. 
I, I wouldn't trust Paxful. And I used, I, I never did business with Paxful, but I really had a lot of respect for Ray Youssef. And I still do, honestly, that never left. Uh, he had the, the, the good, he had the good uh, gut feeling, or he went with his good gut feeling and left because it was just becoming untenable. There is a, he had a very long conversation with Matt O'Dell on Citadel Dispatch. Uh, you need to go listen to it to understand where I'm coming from. This dude, I don't know who Roshan is, but after some of the antics that I've seen from this Shabak guy and this immediate appointment, stay as far away from Paxful as you possibly can. If you're in Africa and you're using Paxful, if you can use something else, I can't recommend it enough. Even if it wasn't that I knew some of the bullshit that Shabak has, has done over the past few years, I would still say that because now you've got a company in flux and that's never good, especially in this really weird environment that we find ourselves in with the U.S. debt ceiling thing. And you've got China not coming in at expectations on their economy reopening and you've got oil prices doing whatever it is that they're doing. This is all not good. Well, then put regulatory stuff on top of everything and then you've got a real mess. But so if you're on Paxful, if get off, just get off. If you can go find something else, go find anything else that you can use. There are other companies out there. I should have put a list of them up there, but I didn't realize just how bad this, this thing was going to be before I read it. But we are on our last one. Now, former sec chief warns influencers about prosecution for crypto price manipulation. All right. So they're going after the influencers. Now, Prashant jaw, Cointelegraph. The United States SEC is pursuing crypto influencers who have promoted scam projects and are found to be manipulating the prices of certain tokens via social media. Former SEC Chief John Reed Stark took to Twitter to warn crypto influencers to be ready to face prosecution. They're coming, guys, they're coming. John Reed Stark's, his statement is as follows. On Twitter, he says, attention all crypto promoters who use social media to manipulate the price of crypto securities. Fail not at your peril, whatever the hell that means. Not only will you eventually get caught, but your prosecution will also be like shooting fish in a barrel, whether manipulating the price of exchanges or, and then it says, see more. And that's all we really need to know. That statement is like, you're going to be shot like fish in a barrel. That is a very violent very violent thing to actually illustrate there. Kind of unexpected from somebody like John Stark, but he said it. You guys are targets. So anybody out there who's trying to promote some kind of bullshit scam, you shouldn't have done it in the first place because it's immoral and it's unethical. But second, you really shouldn't have done it because John Stark and, well, people that he's friends with, I'm sure, are going to be breathing down your neck hither and yon from now until the end of yore. In his tweet, Stark called out social media crypto influencers who shield numerous sketchy crypto projects and also help them manipulate market prices during the bull run. He warned that any form of price manipulation, be it the price of exchange-listed securities, penny stock securities, or crypto securities, the same anti-fraud rules apply in the days of social media crypto influencers are numbered. 
The former SEC chief drew attention to the brazen and arrogant way in which so many social media influencers grift their victims. Most chilling and price manipulation occurs via social media platforms like Twitter, Discord, Instagram, or Reddit. Stark noted that the nature of securities frauds makes it easier to detect and prosecute, unlike other forms of fraud where the perpetrator often tries to hide behind their identity. Quote, regulators and law enforcement need only turn on their computers to discover an extraordinary and resplendent evidentiary trail of compelling and vivid inculpatory evidence. Indeed, far from trying or sorry, indeed, far from tying the government's hands, social media has become the virtual rope that many crypto bros and sisters use to hang themselves. Stark explained, dude, the imagery that he's talking about shooting fish in a barrel and people being hung. Do you get, do you get Madrid? This is the former SEC guy. This, the imagery here is, well, Stark. Get it? Ah, Stark cited the example of notorious crypto influencer Francis Sabo, who was charged in a $100 million securities fraud case and used social media platforms to manipulate exchange-traded stocks. Apart from Sabo, there have been numerous instances of crypto influencers found to have violated securities laws. The most famous case is Kim Kardashian, who was fined $1.26 million for promoting a scam project. Another major influencer to face the law is BitBoy Crypto, an influencer who has met a lot of public ire for promoting pretty shady projects. On March the 31st, the YouTuber was named in a $1 billion with a B dollar lawsuit for promoting unregistered securities. In November of 2022, the SEC also issued multiple subpoenas to influencers, influencers for promoting HEX, Pulse Chain, and Pulse X tokens. Yeah, they're coming. I didn't realize BitBoy was being uh, put on the hook for a billion dollars. Wow. A billion dollar lawsuit. No, it's no wonder he's all angry all the time. Uh, yeah, don't listen to don't listen to any of these people. There is just it's just going to get you into trouble. It's just going to make them rich, and then of course the SEC is going to give them enough rope to hang themselves with. Jesus, the language on this shit. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. All right, I got a good one for you science nerds out there. A chemist froze himself at minus 273.15 degrees Celsius, and everyone said he was crazy. It turned out that he was okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, this, that's definitely just for the science nerds. Um, stay away from Paxful. That's the, my parting shot is to stay as far away from Paxful as you can. Ray Youssef is a good dude. I firmly believe that. He got out because of the way shit was going. And you got to understand, Ray Youssef was, he was the face of Paxful since 2015. That thing's been around for eight years. That thing was, Paxful was first starting up when I was first getting into Bitcoin. I kind of, in, in, in a way, I kind of grew up with Paxful, even though I wasn't able to use it because it's sort of in, over there in Africa. But in, in either event, I've always admired Ray Youssef. The, thing, the way he writes, the things he says, the fact that he never wavered on what it was that he told people he believed. 
right? That's why I trusted him because he's always says the same thing and he always says it the same way and he always means it with the same intensity. And it looks to me from what I understand now that he got to the point over at Paxful where he's like, there's no choice but for me to just leave. I'm done. So you, basically it's like leaving an eight-year-old, your eight-year-old kid. Ray Youssef loved Paxful. All right. I mean, he was really trying to do what was right for the African people in providing Paxful as a service. And he had to leave it. It's something that nobody ever really wants to do. It's a hard thing to do. So it's not like it was easy for him to make that decision. But I guarantee you Paxful is going to be a different animal than what it was when Ray Youssef was at the helm. Just be aware Use Paxful at your own risk, and it is a risk. There's nothing left to say. I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.